0: Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I explore a different topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. Today, I'm reflecting on a concept that has been coming up quite a bit for both myself over the past month, as well as some of my clients. It's the concept of being versus fixing. So let's talk about why so many dietitians seem to be fixers, and why we may all benefit from learning how to shift our mindset around this topic. So today, I want to talk to you about this concept of being with. And this phrase, being with, is really another way of saying sitting with discomfort. How do we take uh, a problem, a negative sensation, an unpleasant sensation, pain, suffering? How do we take these aspects of life and be with them rather than jumping right into fixing and solving and healing? And we're gonna talk today a little bit about what this concept of like being with something means, what sitting with discomfort actually means, why it is so important, and what are some of the consequences of the alternative. So first today, I want to start with an exploration of the concept of fixing. See, dietitians tend to be fixers, right? We see a problem and we solve it, or we jump right into figuring out how we can fix it right? We're healers. We're problem solvers. We're solutions oriented. We're here to help people solve a problem, right? That's our jobs. And to be honest, a lot of people in general, not only dietitians, are fixers. And again, what this means is that we are oriented to being presented with something that is framed as an issue, a problem, and we are hardwired to jump right into the problem-solving mode, right? So where does this come from? Why do uh, so many dietitians experience it? And also, why do so many people in general, even outside of our field, fall into this category? Now, the first is we have to acknowledge our own education and our profession overall and the influence that kind of our professional upbringing has had on this mentality and it makes sense right our job is to take someone who's struggling with a problem around food and nutrition and then help them not struggle with it anymore right we're here to help people solve problems that's kind of how we're taught to be. We're taught to look at labs. We're taught to read through charts and identify the problem. We're taught to interview. We're taught to assess people's physical states and come up with a problem, a PES statement, right? Bringing up good memories, right? We come up with a problem. We identify where that problem is coming from, we outline the signs and symptoms of that problem, and then we come up with a plan to solve it. And basically our entire career, our entire work is based off of monitoring and evaluation, the treatment plan to make sure that we are actually solving that problem. So everything that we're taught pretty much as dietitians, is to look through the lens of find the problem, solve the problem. That's what makes us valuable, worthy, competent dietitians, right? We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the shortfalls of that logic. But first, I want to zoom out because we can't talk about the profession without also talking about the greater society overall. because our profession didn't come to be this way from nowhere. Our profession, developed based on the influence of the society in which it operates. And so you know I'm going to you know I'm going to bring up the three buzzwords, right? The three words that I have to bring up anytime I talk about systems and that is capitalism, white supremacy and patriarchy. I don't always talk about the white supremacy one. It's it's usually there, but we're going to talk about it today. So first let's talk about capitalism. Capitalism is really built on this idea of constant improvement, this concept that um, your value is derived from your ability to grow, do better, fix things, become more efficient, right? Like progress is seen as being linear and constantly moving upwards, right? If you're not moving up, if you're not growing, if you're not getting better, then what are you actually doing? And so when we have this influence and this idea of value being derived from constant improvement, we're going by nature to try to identify things that are holding us back from being better and then find solutions so that those don't hold us back anymore, right? So capitalism is going to be hinged on this mentality that we have to constantly be fixing things and getting better at things. So that is one of the the big driving forces. Now, one of the other reasons that we're going to talk about in a little bit is that problems in and of themselves are not comfortable, right? Like when we're faced with pain or a struggle or suffering or a conundrum, a dilemma, it is not a fun space to be. And so by nature, we're going to want to alleviate that. And I say by nature hesitantly because I don't know how much this is nature versus, again, being conditioned by society to not like sitting in that space. We have labeled uh, the pain, suffering suffering, and discomfort that we associate with problems as a bad thing that we want to rush our way out of. And that's where the concept of white supremacy becomes relevant. Because something that we don't really talk a lot about, we we use the term white supremacy, and I think sometimes as soon as we say that phrase, um, we have a tendency to shut down a little bit um, because it is such a charged phrase, and we have a lot of preconceived notions about it. So we don't actually learn a lot about what we mean when we say that phrase. And they've done research, and there is actually a culture to white supremacy. Um, so so there is a white supremacy culture that has actual characteristics to it, and I often, uh, when I'm working with my group cohort, uh, will we pull up the list of characteristics of white supremacy culture, and it's pretty stark to compare that to the struggles that we face as dietitians because you can see a lot of the challenges that we face actually stem from this culture that we're raised in. And one of the characteristics of white supremacy culture is a right to comfort. And this goes pretty deep. Uh, Again, I I won't go uh, super far into it. You can Google white supremacy culture and you can read a lot about it. Um, It's fascinating. It's, It's really nice to have a more nuanced and in-depth understanding, but pretty much uh, right to comfort is this idea that uh, white people in particular, it's white supremacy culture, but people um, have a right to feel comforted and to um, have their pain, suffering, cognitive dissonance, all of those lovely things alleviated right so um, it is a little bit of I don't want to use the word coddling um but it is it is a little bit reminiscent of that where we don't really like being uncomfortable and we almost view it as our right to, have that discomfort alleviated and salt. So again, we're conditioned to get into a space of being uncomfortable and immediately like freeze up and want to leave that situation, want to change that situation so that we don't have to experience that discomfort anymore. And so one of the ways if we're talking about advocacy and we're talking about, you know, improving our field and dismantling oppressive systems, one of the ways that we do this is we practice getting uncomfortable. We resist the urge to run every time we're faced with a challenge. Now I want to also pause and dig into this like right to comfort this idea of getting uncomfortable a little bit because there is there are a few kind of conflicting personality traits that dietitians tend to have that um either make it more likely for us to uh re- kind of resist this discomfort, wanting, like wanting to be fixers. And then there are some that conflict with it. And I want to talk about that too. So a lot of dietitians uh, are to some degree empaths. I don't know if you resonate with that term. I don't know if you feel as though you are, but I know a lot of the dietitians who I work with, and I can relate to this as well. We tend to absorb emotional states from other people. So we can be sitting in a counseling session or an education session with a patient or a client, and if they're anxious, that can rev us up. If they're experiencing pain and suffering, we feel that, we take that with us. It has a lot of uh, consequences to it, this empathy, because the more empathy we feel and the more deeply we feel it, the more we connect to that other person. On the one hand, it helps us connect with them more, right? That's so important for our work. On the other hand, it can make it really hard to shake that emotion. And when we exist in a society that hasn't taught us how to sit with our discomfort, hasn't taught us how to deal with with negative or unpleasant sensations or emotions or experiences. We've just been rushed into a solution. Other people have jumped to fix our problems when we were young, and then we learn to do the same when we get older. We take on all of these emotions, but then we don't have any tools to do anything with them. And so although being an empath may, um, if we were raised in a different culture, maybe we would have an easier time with this being with rather than jumping right into the fixing. But because we don't have any tools in order to be with all of these complex experiences, we tend to do what society teaches us to do, resist it, push it down. We have to stay professional, right? Like that concept of professionalism, which Oof! I could go off on a whole tangent about professionalism and where that comes from and how I feel about it. But suffice to say, we don't have the ability. So we wind up jumping to fixing because when we feel all of these things for the people we work with or work for, then, and we don't know what to do with all of that, we wind up trying to fix it we funnel all of that pain and discomfort and empathy that we're feeling into trying to fix let me just alleviate this pain because i can feel the pain i know the pain that you're you're experiencing and i don't want you to have to feel it because i don't like feeling it either right that's what that's the process that we wind up going through and by the way this idea of like pushing down emotions remaining professional remaining stoic like not um sitting in that discomfort at all that's also a a side effect of patriarchy so that's our third system so to recap quickly capitalism again pushes us to want to constantly be improving white supremacy's tendency to uh promote the right to comfort means that, uh, we are hardwired to, uh, to seek comfort at all costs to avoid discomfort, um, and to work for, towards that. And now patriarchy teaches us how we deal with emotions. And we may be pretty good at like escaping and numbing, but patriarchy by nature is not the best at promoting processing of emotions, regulation of emotions, and learning how to be uncomfortable. Again, um, if we think about the stereotypes that men and uh, individuals socialized as boys, uh, kind of the those stereotypical traits that are promoted for that, population it's going to be like stoicism it's going to be maintaining that composure Um, it's not emoting very strongly and to be able to just like push it down rather than sit and process and feel and so again that's where all of this comes from that's where professionalism comes from it's rooted in um, traits that are valued for men rather than traits that are valued for women because men were the first professionals. The patriarchy built a lot of stuff and it influences a lot of what is considered acceptable and not acceptable and how we're raised. Um, and you may argue that you know even within a patriarchy, someone who was socialized as a girl or a woman uh, was encouraged to feel a little bit but I can certainly tell you that as someone who identifies as a woman who was socialized as a girl um although it was expected that I was going to be more emotional I can't tell you how many times I was told that I had to like get that those emotions under control in a professional situation I wasn't taught how to process uncomfortable emotions at work I wasn't taught how to um Deal with the uh, discomfort and pain of making a mistake, or um, or taking on someone else's pain and struggling. Um, I wasn't taught any of that, right? I was just taught like toughen up, because <laughs> that's what we do. So we can see how these three systems influence the fact that we don't really have the tools again to. Uh, to sit with that discomfort. And so the only solution that we really have is jump right to fix it, do And now you may argue that some of this is human nature. So I said that, for example, white supremacy as a culture values the right to comfort. And I kind of alluded to this idea of maybe nature is involved too. And I don't know the actual answer to that. I don't know research they've done or experts in the field and what they've said about this idea in general. You know, it, it makes logical sense that um, a survival mechanism would be to seek comfort and to avoid pain, right? That, that would ideally keep us alive longer. But I don't know that every society in this world responds to negative experiences the same way that we do in more like Western societies, more capitalist, white supremacist, patriarchal societies. Um, I don't know that that's true. I, from some blips of things that I've read and heard, it actually sounds like there are some cultures, there are some societies, there are some communities that kind of embrace the totality of the human experience that, uh, understand the uh, kind of inherent humanity of suffering and that it's not, it's unavoidable and something that we have to sit with and welcome into our lives. So again, I don't know how much of this is actual survival mechanisms, um, versus what we've been conditioned by the society where we happen to have been raised. And then I should also add that one other trait that the dieticians have. So we have the education that uh, enforces it. We have society that enforces it. But we have this one personality trait that tends to be pretty common amongst dietitians. that also tends to make it harder to sit with discomfort. And that's our perfectionism. And I just yesterday on Instagram uh, asked if individuals identified as being perfectionists or if they didn't identify as perfectionists, did they identify as not being perfectionists, but having a really hard time with that in a profession where so many perfectionists exist? Because I also had this conversation recently with uh, one of my group participants, and we were talking about how hard it would be because as she works on her perfectionism, she's saying, but I still work for another dietitian. And that dietitian holds me to perfectionist standards. And my organization does because we, again, that's another cultural trait that is upheld is perfectionism is considered ideal. Um, and We see this all the time in in messaging. And so even if you're not a perfectionist, you're living in a perfectionist world, a world that values striving for perfection, and that comes with its own challenges. And so by nature, when we are perfectionists or we're held to perfectionist standards, largely thanks to the systems that we live in, white supremacy, capitalism, things like that, um, it's really hard to sit in pain and discomfort because we're taught to constantly try, try to be better, right? We need to be better. We need to improve ourselves, get closer to perfection, improve ourselves, eliminate the problems, eliminate the barriers, just do better, right? Again, it's the constant push to improve and achieve. And so it can become really difficult to sit and stay with your mistakes or with a problem, because all you wanna do as a perfectionist is make that problem go away because problems are bad and we wanna have as few problems as possible, ideally zero. So now that we know some of the, the places that this uh, stems from, why so many dietitians wind up being quote unquote fixers, Let's talk about a little bit of how this shows up because maybe you're sitting here going like, okay, like I I can follow along, but I don't know if I'm actually like a fixer. Do I do this? Um, And I won't give a a ton of examples. Um, I want to say that it can show up with our clients and patients, and it also can show up with ourselves. So with our clients and patients, um, we're again hardwired to be nutrition educators. Um, We don't necessarily learn a lot of like counseling techniques. We learn a lot of behavior change techniques. We learn a lot of motivational interviewing. What do these things do? They move people along. They don't necessarily sit with someone where they are. They meet them where they're at, but then it's with the intention of pushing them forward. So the idea is we want to, again, like I talked about before, the way that we're taught to be dietitians is to find the problem, assess the problem, solve the problem. So it can show up with our work with our clients and patients having a really hard time and wanting to jump right into solving their concerns. And sometimes our clients and patients put that pressure on us too. Sometimes they come to us and they're like, I want you to solve my problem. And if you don't do the work fast enough, I'm gonna get frustrated. I know that as an intuitive eating dietitian, that can happen quite a bit because the work that I do takes time. And uh, a lot of the people who come to me are used to dieting and they're used to seeing quick fixes um, or at least some kind of improvement. And that's not the work that we do in intuitive eating. So a lot of times they can come to me and they might say, you know, am I, am I going fast enough? Am I progressing in the right way? Um, Am I like is this working? When am I going to see results? So they can sometimes put that pressure on us too and reinforce that notion that we need to be fixing. And if we're not fixing and they're not seeing the results, then we're not pulling our weight as a professional. And this can also show up in ourselves. It can show up in our own confidence and self-doubt and our knowledge and um, that we want to constantly be fixing ourselves. I think that sometimes when we feel those imposter thoughts come in, all we wanna do is fix them. We want them to go away, right? We are burnt out and we wanna fix it. We are in a state as a person, as a human that we don't like. And we want to know how we can change it. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to want to feel more confident, to want to work on yourself, to want to be a better person or a more resilient person. Self-improvement has its place. The same way that helping solve clients' problems has its place. There are just consequences when that is the first thing that we jump right to and or the only thing that we jump right to. So what are the consequences of being a fixer, so to speak? The first is that it really risks invalidation. Um, It tends to be dismissive of the negative experience, right? So we kind of gloss over this negative space and jump right into like, okay, you don't like this, let's fix it. Let's move out of this discomfort. Let's not spend any time here. And it tends to lead to pushing away. I also find that a lot of the dietitians that I work with uh, wind up being not not intentionally, but accidentally wind up being kind of surface level dietitians. uh, Because again, we're not really taught the nuance of, of counseling And certainly if you have a background in, uh, like a clinical space or a space where you don't have as much time to dig into the nuance of a person's situation, then, then you're going to develop more surface level assessment techniques by necessity. But a lot of the dietitians who I work with who are transitioning into a counseling role, and they're going to be spending 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour with one person, um, A lot of times we aren't taught how to dig deep and really get into the nitty gritty of those sessions. Um, There are a lot of times where I'm doing a case consultation with one of the dietitians I supervise and they'll be talking to me about a client and they're struggling, they wanna know um, what they can do. It might be related to a client who's struggling with body image or uh, moving through a principle of intuitive eating, for example. And I'll start by asking, okay, what have you already said? How did you respond in this situation? Is there anything that you can think of that you do differently or that you want to try out? So we start brainstorming on their part. And then I'll ask things like, well, did you ask XYZ? Did you explore ABC? Um, And a lot of times they'll say like, oh, I didn't ask that. And that's okay. Okay right? That's why we have consultations because our approaches are different. Our brains work differently. And um, if you were never taught to dig deeper, then um, chances are, it's not going to be your gut reaction. And you're not going to necessarily think of some of these deeper probing questions to go into. Um, But we wind up doing this like surface level nutrition counseling and where we really benefit is being able to dig a little bit deeper. You're going to actually get better results for your client. And um, you're going to be able to have the tools to explore some of these uncomfortable situations. Now, um, another consequence of jumping right into fixing rather than taking the time to like sit in this discomfort, either with yourself or with a patient or client is the sheer futility of it. Because we can't fix everything and we can't avoid the discomfort pain and suffering are part of our shared human experience and that means that we have to be prepared for them and we can't just like fix our way out of everything and prevent pain we know that we also know that emotions aren't under our conscious control. I mean, we can become more emotionally intelligent. We can become more emotionally aware. We can learn how to regulate our emotions better, but they're not necessarily something that we're like, oh, I'm going to choose to be happy today. And then all of a sudden you're happy. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to, to be in a bad mood today. Like sometimes it just happens and they're not always rational, right? Like I can experience anxiety as a dietitian who experiences anxiety. It can come up, and sometimes it's for a reason. Sometimes I can think back and go like, "Okay, well, I have a lot on my plate, or I haven't been meditating, or um, I haven't been sleeping well, or whatever it is 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 making me more likely to feel anxious." Sure. And then there are other times where it comes out of nowhere. And especially as a dietitian who menstruates, um, I can guarantee you that there is going to be one day out of the month, at least, where I'm just sad. It's it's a running joke with Justin because there will be a day, and I turn to him and I'll just go, "I feel like crying. Like I think I'm gonna cry right now. I can feel the tears like brimming." And he looks bewildered. He's like, "Why? What's wrong?" And I'm like. I don't know. There's nothing wrong. I just feel like crying. Right. And so when, especially if you have emotional states that ebb and flow, and they're not always tied to something that happened, right? Like sometimes I feel like crying and it's not because something sad happened to me. It's just because that's the surge of emotions that I'm experiencing. And so we can't always fix it, right? Like when, when I have that surge of emotions, there's not a problem to be fixed because there's not a problem that's causing that, so to speak. It's something that we need to sit with and learn how to ride out. And if we don't learn how to ride it out, then we're going to be constantly chasing things that we can't prevent, that we can't always solve, um, And plus, it's exhausting to be running around like patching holes all the time, right? Um, If there's always another problem to fix, there's always another emotion to deal with, right? It's exhausting. And if you're constantly trying to fix it and be better and help your clients be better and just like never experience this pain and suffering again, you're going to burn out. And then sometimes the last consequence that I want to go over today is that it can backfire this, this fixing because sometimes it just adds stress, anxiety, and like momentum. I feel like we move so quickly and that keeps us moving at a very quick pace. And that can trigger like stress and anxiety and adrenaline, and it can make it worse. I can't tell you how many times I have regretted jumping to a solution too quickly. Um, I wish that I had a specific e- example. I was trying to brainstorm one, um, but there are so many times where, like, I get an email or um, something on Instagram goes wrong, or you know, I have a conversation that feels uncomfortable, and I jump right into like problem-solving mode, right? Because I'm human, I do it too. <laughs> I feel like I'm a fixer. We're um, working on it and when, and I do it and I like jump them into problem solving mode. I'm like, I'm going to send this email out. I'm going to do this, that, and I'm going to like jump into action. And it actually makes the situation worse or like, isn't necessary. And so many times I find that if I had just like waited a day or two, the problem, so to speak would have resolved itself. I would have gotten a clarifying email. Instagram would have started working again, the situation that felt uncomfortable, the interaction with, I don't know, another dietitian maybe would have fizzled out and everything would have been fine. I didn't have to make it a thing, but because I made it a thing, I made my stress worse and I made it into a bigger deal than it needed to be. So what is the solution? If like jumping right into fixing mode has consequences, what can we do instead? We have to learn how to be with this discomfort. We have to learn how to sit with it. And it's because, first of all, again, because there's going to be pain and suffering, because you're going to make mistakes and you're going to feel uncomfortable, learning how to be okay with that and not having those situations st- send you down a spiral of like negative thoughts and judgments and worse emotions and all of these things, you can learn how to kind of just be and ride it out. And so what this might look like with your clients or your patients is what some people refer to as sitting in the suck. Um, it's, it's acknowledging it's validating And spending time letting them know that what they're feeling and the pain that they're feeling and the frustration and all of those things are valid and justified. And to let them know that they are allowed to express those things to you. It also means digging deeper, like I alluded to earlier. We have to listen to them. We have to ask questions. We have to really make sure that we understand where they're coming from before we start offering advice. And when it comes to working with ourselves, a lot of this work is making peace with our imperfections. That's something that I'm going to be talking a little bit more about in a future episode. Um, It's work that I'm doing with my current group cohort right now. In the group program, um, is we're learning on learning about sitting with our imperfections. We're practicing m- making mistakes and being bad at things, and and acknowledging that that sucks and that doesn't feel good, and that it's also okay that that we're going to survive that discomfort. And some examples, just to give you uh, some more tangible examples, before we wrap up today. Um, recently I've been experiencing a significant amount of stress. I am getting ready to go into the next launch of my second cohort for my group program. That means planning a, a live event. I've got the workshop coming up. Uh, I have all of my regular things that I'm dealing with and it's been stressful. I've been working long hours and, uh, feel like I have a to-do list that every time I check something off, I think of something else to put on. I'm sure, you know, that feeling. And in the past, experiences like this would have totally derailed me. I would be so anxious and I'd be like, okay, what can I do to make myself less stressed? What can I do to take care of myself? What can I do to like ease up on my plate and set boundaries? And I would be in like action mode, trying to solve this problem of stress. Fast forward to to now and a, a few weeks ago, I sat down and I said, I'm feeling pretty stressed a very neutral statement, right? Didn't judge it, just said, I'm feeling stressed right now. I'm probably going to keep feeling stressed for the next few weeks. Like this is a stressful time. And I think I need to just be okay with that. I think I need to just accept that the next few weeks might not feel comfortable and, you know, sure, try and take care of myself where I can, but to not break my back, trying to, Change the situation. Instead, I'm just acknowledging that this is how these few weeks are. There's gonna be there's gonna be a lot going on, and I'm gonna get through it. And then there's gonna be a period of time where it's a little less stressful, and that's okay. And it's interesting. There's research from a psychologist, Kelly McGonigal. She did a TED Talk. I highly recommend uh, looking it up. It's great. Um, And she did research on stress. And for so long, she would tell her patients like stress is the worst thing for you. We have to fix your stress. And like, because she was doing research on how damaging stress can be for the body. And then she started seeing in her research, a shift. They started to dig deeper and they realized that some, something very fascinating was that stress wasn't bad for everyone. Stress was specifically harmful for people who labeled the stress as bad it's a really cool TED talk. Again, I highly recommend listening to it, but it's this concept of like, it's the label that we assign to our discomfort that impacts how we feel about it and how it then impacts us. And so um, one of the things that I've been working on is learning how to be okay with things not being okay. And this is something that a lot of my clients grapple with as well. Um, So I have one who is newer to intuitive eating. And um, when we first started working together, she was really worried about like saying the right thing and being prepared for sessions. And as she started working with some clients, she started learning that it's really not about that at all. I mean, sure, (laughs) there are some things that we're going to do to prepare, but the biggest work that she does now from our sessions and from practicing this and talking about this, one of the biggest things that she's learned how to do is to just sit there and validate the experience of the client sitting on the other end of the Zoom call with her. Another uh, dietitian I know who, uh, who I supervise works with eating disorder clients And we have so many conversations about not not being responsible for fixing an eating disorder. And how do we sit with all of the emotions that come up in session, the anger and the projection and the anxiety and the fear. And she's been doing some great work in learning how to just sit and be in a space with this other human who's feeling all of these things. And then one of my group participants right now works in chronic kidney disease. And we had uh, conversations on one of our recent office hours about how, you know, the burnout with a chronic condition is huge and that, yes, you know, she has valuable information to provide, but um, she found it really reassuring when I was talking about, well, maybe what they really need is to sit and to be. And to have their emotions validated, and that's something that she's really passionate about, is bringing kind of this mental health side of chronic kidney disease support into her work to really be able to validate and be with. And she's going to make such a big impact in her clients' lives by being able to do that. By not just saying, here's what you can eat and what you can't eat, let's get you some recipe ideas, but to really take some time and say, like, how are you feeling right now? What do you need right now? What are the emotions that are going through you? So, how do we actually do this? That's what I want to uh, end on today. How do we actually learn to be rather than jump right into fixing? Um, And there are a lot of tools that I go through with clients, one of the the big umbrella tools is that we have to learn how to practice non-reactivity. We have to learn how to experience pain and not trump right to fixing it. Um, Meditation is one of the things that helps me tremendously with this, but it's far from the only option. It's basically saying that you're welcoming this pain, this discomfort in like a friend, the same way that you would happiness or joy. We also have to have space for it, right? We have to have space to do this work, to experience it, to explore it. Um, That could be therapy, it could be supervision, it could be a combination of the two, but it's specific work on learning how to ride out your emotions and separate ourselves from our intrusive thoughts or like unpleasant negative emotions. And then some of it is experience, again, like hands-on learning. I am going to be teaching some techniques that I use with my clients in my upcoming workshop, which I've been talking a bit about. I'm going to keep talking about it um, because I'm really excited for it. But uh, the workshop, Discovering Your Success, Fulfillment, and Confidence as a Dietitian on Your Terms is uh, happening in March in, I believe it's in a week by the time this airs. I think it's going to, there's only one more week to sign up. So get your registration in. it's free. Um, We're going to be, I'm going to teach some techniques. We're going to be exploring some stuff. Uh, Again, the stuff that we're doing is actual hands-on things that I do with my paid clients and I'm bringing it to you for free. So I'm very excited for it. You can sign up uh, at www.empoweringdietitians.com slash March 22 event. That's March 2-2-E-V-E-N-T. Um, and of course, more information will be in the outro, in my show notes, all over social media. Feel free to connect with me and ask me any questions. I really hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you are currently feeling frustrated with your work, Wishing you had the freedom to work in a way that aligns with your values, and the confidence to turn your professional life into something that makes you happy, I want to invite you to my upcoming free workshop, Writing a New Narrative, Discovering Success, Fulfillment, and Confidence as a Dietitian, on your terms. Over the course of four days, we will explore exactly why our profession struggles with this so much, how it makes us vulnerable to those insidious imposter thoughts, and what we can do to start reclaiming our passion for our professional lives. To learn more and sign up, head to wwwempoweringdietitianscom March 22 event. That's empoweringdietitians.com slash March22EVENT. I hope to see you there.